morning, everybody. My name is Ryan, and I'm part of the family here at the Patch Community Chapel, what we call the humble little Patch Community Chapel in Stuttgart. I wanted uh, to just share something uh, on my heart that uh, I had a paradigm shift uh, last week. So whenever someone, I've done this for years, years, when someone asked me, how are you doing? I would say, well, I'm, I'm better than I deserve. And I, I would, you know, it would be kind of funny for me to get people's reaction. But my friend Rob told me the other day, he said, well, you're, you're a child of the Most High King. Like, what do you deserve? And it was a, it was a radical shift for me. And looking at our, our scripture this morning, for we read out of the, the Revised Common Lectionary, it was, it was a verse about royalty. And then I looked in my closet and I found something that was... 25 years old. This this shirt is 25 years old. So, you know, you may reveal here. This is. I had this in college. So what this is, it, it says Maharlika. So that's Tagalog, and it's a very deep Tagalog word that means royalty. It was uh, it was a club that we had at Biola University called Maharlika, and it was just a bunch of us getting together. It was a, it was. Uh, Filipinos uh, getting together and uh, just honoring heritage, but we came up with this t-shirt, Maharlika, and it's based off of today's passage, 1 Peter chapter 2, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12 says this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12 says this, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain, abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. This is the word of the Lord. Next in our worship service, would you please turn in with me in your hymn books to hymn number 31. Please stand as we sing, I Exalt Thee, hymn number 31.
So once again, welcome to, to Patch Chapel. Uh, when, you, when you came in this morning, you should have received uh, two things, a little handout like this, and uh, this blank sheet of paper here, which we will talk about later on. So hang on to this. Don't, don't draw on it yet. We'll have something for you to write. Uh, we believe we worship a God who is, who is welcoming and loving. And here at, at Patch Chapel, we hope from the moment that you walk through those doors that you really felt the authenticity of, the, of our people here and the warmth of, the warmth of God. And we hand, this thing, we hand this pamphlet out for several reasons. One, we want to let you know what's going on within the life of our community here. Two, we want to be able to be available to you. So our contact, contact information is here on, on the back. I'm not going to read to you every single thing we have going on here, but we do have something for everybody. We have men's breakfast at, at Kelly uh, at 6.30 on Thursdays. We have a Protestant Women of the Chapel group for the women that meet. We have, and now this is very exciting. I was able to have lunch with uh, uh, a guy, an awesome guy named Grady, who is going to be taking over for um, our youth in this area. Um, and at, at, it escapes my mind. Uh, Club Beyond, yes. So Grady, is Grady here today? No, he's visiting, he's visiting somewhere else. This guy is like the perfect youth minister. Uh, 33 years old, has, has a background with working with uh, children's special needs, is a missionary, and is, is single and all in for our youth. So when you get to meet him, um, how, many, how many youth do we have in here today? Yes, we're, we are very excited, very excited for this, for this development, and we're going to be having meetings and more of that to, to come. Okay, um, this, the, the third point on here, 95 prayers, we're going to talk about this in our, in our prayer time, but that's what the, that's what the cards are for. Um, okay, we have something for everybody because we believe in the, in the, the value of community. I often say it's isolation is not the worst things we do, but it's always how we do the worst things. So one of the things we do on repeat is to call people out, out of isolation and into, into community, out of isolation into gathering with one another. From, from the youngest ones in here to the most experienced in life, it's, it's all about gathering together as a, as a community and getting to know one another. Getting to know one another and the things that, that we hold, we, we bring them and we apply things like, like James chapter uh, 5, 16, Confession of sin one to another that results in healing. Um, getting to know one another so that we're not shouldering burdens alone. Like actually joining hip to hip and going through all the, all the things that life throws at us. Because life is pretty brutal. And life together in the, in the body of Christ is really, is really what we're all about. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to stand again and we'll sing another classic hymn. Hymn number 147. Open your hymnals to 147. The hymn is How Great Thou Art. Uh, next in our, our worship, we'll be having the public reading of Scripture. And I'm going to call Rachel.
up for the reading of the scriptures. Good morning. morning. (laughs) Our first reading will be from the Old Testament, and that will be Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 6. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. This is the ending of our Old Testament reading. Our New Testament reading will be from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. That is page 827 from your Blue Pew Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Here ends our reading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, is it appropriate to give a round of applause for, for some good scripture reading? Thank you, Rachel. It's so powerful. That's what we're called to do. We're called to read scripture out loud. And uh, I we also want to applaud. It, it's, it's courageous. It's courageous to do that. And we want to see more youth and more people and more families uh, getting up here reading the word of God. If you see what's next on our, on our worship service it's a it's a time of confession and confession is powerful i i'm always reminded of two of the most powerful verses about confession in the scripture one is first john 1 9 that says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's, that's one. And another passage about Scripture in the, in, the, in the book of James, chapter 5, 16, confess our sins one to another. And he links that to, to healing. Um, confession is a time where, where good news meets bad news. And the, the two scripture readings we had today contain both good news and bad news. And you don't have to turn there, but, but the first passage that, that Rachel read was from Isaiah 53, and it's talking about this Messiah. Now, this is thousands of years before Jesus even, even uh, arrived on earth, but it's talking about someone who was despised and rejected and pierced for our transgressions. And, and really rejected by his own people. So if we take what happened to the Messiah and that prophecy has been fulfilled, and we take that into our own lives, it reveals how many of us have been rejected. And you don't have to raise your hand. But in here, there are some of us who have felt rejection. See, that's bad news. How many have ever been, you've been rejected by your own people? People that, that should have had your back. And you're rejected by them. Jesus can relate. The Messiah can relate. See, so there's bad news in our life. And we meet the bad news in our life with confessions of how we feel about those things. And in turn, some of those things that we have, have felt need to be confessed to God. Lord, this is what I'm feeling right now. And if there are things that have dealt into to evil in our lives, things that have taken our eyes off of the Father onto people and circumstances and things, then we confess it. We say, Lord, here's, I took my eyes off of you. I am bitter towards this situation or this person. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your forgiveness. First John 1 9 gives us the, the, the guidance to go into confession right into forgiveness. The, the second passage that Rachel read was out of the New Testament. It's Ephesians 1. Chapter 1, verses 15. And I would like to see this as a positive confession. So the positive confession, I have negative confessions in my life. Like this is how I feel. This is, this is something bad that's happened to me. This is a negative way that I've seen it, not through Christ's eyes. This is a positive one. Knowing, well, who is God in me and who, is, who, who am I in him? Look who God is. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 here. He was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand. Jesus is far above every ruler, authority, power, and dominion, and every title given. He has power over all those things, all those things that are, are bad in our lives. And he lives in us. His spirit is in us. So when we move into this time of confession... We can meet all the, the bad news confession with the good news of who God is in us and through us. So we'll take about 60 seconds. And you pray and you ask God what's, you let him know what's on your heart. Whether it's something that needs to be confessed. And then, and then also within that, that silent time, I would encourage you to move into reflecting on who God is. And confessing that, let, let your ears hear, your lips say it. God, you are, you are above all. You are, you are uh, raised from the dead. You are seated at the right hand of God. You, have, you, you live in me.
just all these positive confessions, and then I'll close us out in prayer, and then we'll move on to our next thing. Let's, let's pray. Father, we are, are grateful here this morning in the safety of this place to be able to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Lord, thank you for all the good news in our lives that is true because of you. We're thankful that we get to confess all the bad news in our lives, the things that have taken our eyes off of you. So Lord, today as, as a body of Christ, we we corporately say thank you for your forgiveness. I pray this in your most beautiful name. Amen. We also believe in worshiping through, through uh, giving of ourselves and our resources, so I'm going to call the ushers up as we call for the, the offer. Now's the time to take out this, this card, and uh, Pastor Eric will talk about the 95 theses, I mean 95 prayers. <laughs> 95 theses. Um, 500 years ago, um, as you know, um, this part of the world made history. Um, you know the story of Martin Luther, 95 theses, and it's just, and here we are, we're stationed in Germany together, and a thought that we have as a chapel, something creative, a little bit different. We would like to collect 95 prayers that we are going to compile together on a sheet. We're going to pray for Stuttgart in a way that is just kind of collective and different. Um, we gave you this card and a pen um, to take a little bit of time today to write out a prayer. Um, not a prayer for you specifically, but a prayer for us. A chance to pray for Stuttgart. How might you pray for this community? Um, what, how, how might we like to see God move in a different way? So a little bit different today. I'd just like you to take a few moments to take out that note card and just take a few minutes to write out a prayer that you might genuinely have for Stuttgart. doesn't have to be perfect words. Be honest. Make it yourself. And just be sincere. Okay? Take a few minutes.
raise your hand if you need one. Prayers don't have to be long. They don't have to be profound. Um, just, just give it your, give it your heart, and then uh, take some time, maybe throughout the service, to finish it out if you like. And, and then when you go today, just, just put it on the back table for us to collect, all right? And then we're going to compile it next week, and we're, we're going to pray it together as a, as a, as a, as a chapel community. wrap up those or, or if you if you hang on to it and finish it uh, sometime today we'll collect them at the end but let me go ahead and pray for for our message today and then we'll hear uh, the preaching of the word father we thank you for for bringing us all here geographically in this specific time and place and area Lord, as we lift up our prayers for Hatch, Panzer, Kelly, Robinson, this, this uh, Stuttgart area and beyond. Um, would you love on the community around us through us? Would your grace, mercy, and peace flow in and through us in the surrounding community to each other so that when people see our works, they would praise you Thank you for the, the word we're about to receive today in the Psalms of Ascent, in Psalm 123. We thank you for the word. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
I was coming um, to church this morning and uh, grabbed the first Bible I could off my shelf at home, and I realized this was a Bible that I had um, that was given to me by my mom and my dad back in 1988 when I was 15 years old. Um, the reason I remember this Bible is, um, the reason I've kept it is because it was the first Bible I was playing football with um, as a boy. I remember being at Bethany Bible Church in Phoenix, Arizona, and I remember being on the balcony and just um, throwing this Bible down. And my friend would catch it, and we kind of play catch with it. And um, it was then that my, uh, I really remember, uh, my mom got on me. And um, I still remember to this day, my mom has passed away 20, almost 15, 20 years ago now. And, uh, and I remember the, the reverence that she had for this book. Um, it's, it's a book that I think we all start reading. It's, um, we start reading in the first few pages, and, but somehow we get bogged down. Um, but this book is alive, and it's active. It's on um, the scripture even attests to itself that it's, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, joint and marrow, discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. But I admit this book is a confusing book to read. And many of us, as we pick up the Bible, are kind of get bogged down. We're not quite sure what we're reading or why we're reading. We're, we're not quite sure um, what, what we're really understanding. And I think back in my early life, and I really wish someone would have helped me understand how this book fits all together. Today, if you're joining us uh, for the first time, or maybe recently, um, we're teaching through the Psalms of Ascent. Fifteen little psalms that are tucked away in the center of our Bible, a cluster of traveling songs, um, I think most very relevant to our traveling transient community. But it's been on my mind for a few weeks to, to pull back, just for a moment, to explain the fuller context of our Bible and to explain how these psalms fit in with the bigger picture of God's word so that we understand what we're reading and how it all fits together. Uh, the psalms, the psalms of ascent are beautiful. They're incredibly helpful. Um, each has a specific point. But if we don't stop, I think, to look at, to look at the view, we could be missing the point of why we're here on the journey. So let's take a few minutes, just a, just a few minutes to look at the view to remind you of the bigger picture of this book. Something that I wish I had known when I first began reading this book. The first book you see in the Bible, as you know, um, the book of Genesis, we, we learn a lot of God's design. We see a picture for things, how they things ought to be. In the first few pages of Genesis, though, we also learn of this disease. You might say, is the disease of our soul? Is the best way I can describe it? Um, something mysteriously um, different, this sin that we inherit, uh, but also tied to our own personal responsibility. The first few pages of Genesis explain, I think, why our families, why our homes, why even our own lives are such a mess. Sin, it's that part of us that hides. It's that part of us that explains why we do the things we don't want to do. Explains why we worship our own selves 
Instead, as Paul says, we worship the creator and his interests. So if you are sincerely interested in understanding why things are as they are, learn well the first few pages of Genesis. In Genesis, we all see the first tribes, we see the first families, uh, from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Joseph. But even here, you see homes that are ridden with lying, homes that are hiding, men and women coping with alcohol, with infidelity, with family favorites. We quickly learned that families, a family in itself cannot, a family cannot save us from sin. In the book of Exodus, the book of Deuteronomy, we learn that the law cannot save. Um, you know in these books this is where we find the Ten Commandments, but, but actually there are 613 commandments, 248 do's and 365 don'ts. It's truly a rule-based society. But as you know, from living in Germany, and Israel learned this too, laws don't change human hearts. And rules cannot save us from sin. The next book, the book of Leviticus. It's actually a quite fascinating book. Everyone's kind of nervous about reading it. But as if you read it, you'll find a deeper understanding of what holiness is. But let me ask you, can a human priest and can religious rituals change our hearts? Absolutely not. The next book, the book of Joshua, after Deuteronomy should be very near and dear to us, those of in a military profession. In this book, we learn that even the best military strategists, spies, and special forces cannot save the human soul. March on to the book of Judges, a book that emphasizes leadership. But good leaders, as you know, come and go. Even capable leaders in this book, Gideon, Deborah, Samson, cannot save the book of books of first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles document hundreds of years of kings and political leaders who've tried to save. But just as we still see today, even the vacillating character of our elected officials reminds us that politics cannot save. And you would think that prophets, people who courageously spoke the word of God in truth, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, all those prophets, all the way to Malachi, could awaken the human soul. But this Old Testament we have, the first 39 books, says it this way, that no family, no law, no priest, no general, no judge, no king, not even God's prophets, could save us from sin. So, who do we have left? What needed to happen? God came himself. God came to speak with us. God came to grieve with us. He came to live with us. He came to eat with us. Tempted as we are, but yet without, without sin. Jesus doing something and being someone that Adam could never be, that we could never be. Covering our sin, Jesus is fully God, an eternal sacrifice. Jesus is God. Only one sacrifice needed, covering all time. And the first four books, you know, of the New Testament, really beautiful plan if you think about it, for different, for different complementary books 
written from four different eyewitness perspectives. It appeals to my sense of logic, doesn't it yours as well? A resurrection witnessed by 500 people. There is no grave. The Roman Empire gets flipped. The calendar dating system changed. The evidence on the resurrection is just there. We have the book of Romans and the book of Acts. Acts is a really fascinating book. It's really it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit, this third person of the Holy Trinity that we don't know much about, but he's moving through people in a different way we haven't experienced it before. And now, this, this gift, the, the helper, the Holy Spirit, lives through us. And then the rest of the New Testament, as you know, letters explaining, explaining things, helping us understand was making sense. A letter to Rome, Romans, probably the most comprehensive explanation of what it means to be a Christian. Letters, two letters to Corinth, a very sexualized and very idolatrous culture. Some things never change, so relevant for us today. There's even a letter written to a military community, to the retired military community in the town of Philippi. Philemon, a letter to, written for Christians how to get along. Letters to Timothy and Titus, young pastors. How should we run a church? What should a church really look like? The book of Hebrews makes sense of our Jewish faith. Jesus is the better high priest. And in James, we learn very practical bits of wisdom, how to tame the human tongue. Peter teaches us in two letters about how how to suffer. Jude and John's letters are short, blunt, to the point. They say it like it is. And you have the book of Revelation. Just enough to settle our minds about the future. All together, wouldn't you say? Just most impressive book. Truly a most impressive God and his plan to save us. But at the heart of this book, the very center of this book is a very unique group of books I did not mention. Five books we call wisdom literature. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. If you need wisdom in suffering, go to Job. If you need wisdom for everyday living, for parenting, for business, for money, for relationships, turn to the Proverbs. It's all there. If you need wisdom for how to use your minds and how to use your intellect for all the philosophers we have, turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you need wisdom for romance, if you had to learn to learn how to enjoy God's gift to us in sexuality, turn to the book of Song of Solomon. And of course now, this book that we're in right now, this, this majestic book of the Psalms, if you need wisdom for your emotions, go to the Psalms. Some songs are meant to be sung alone. Some are meant for groups. Some songs are meant to sing us out of our depression Some songs are purely joyful. We have so many emotions. It's no wonder that the Psalms are the the biggest book in the Bible, 150 of them. But embedded in this book of Psalms and songs is a cluster of traveling songs, which we have been introducing to the last few weeks. Songs for people on the move. Songs for people who are designed and to, to move and to travel just like us. But in the Psalms of Ascent is a humble little psalm. 
only four verses long. Chances are you skipped over it, never given it much thought. But a psalm very easy to remember, Psalm 1-2-3. Kind of a nerd, I think, about these things, but today's date is October 23rd. You know what that means? <laughs> it's the 10th month on the 23rd day, one zero. Two, three. Today's date has the number one, two, and three. How fun that today we get to look at Psalm one, two, three. So let's read it together. Psalm one, two, three. To you I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant look to the hands of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy on us. Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us, for we have had more than enough contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. I think that just for about every single psalm, there is a picture that can describe the overall mood of a psalm. And if I could condense Psalm 123 to one picture, it would be this. To you I lift up my eyes. Behold, the eyes of a servant look to the hand of their master. So our eyes look to the Lord our God. If you have eyes like this, if you feel like this, I think you'll get this psalm. Because you can tell a lot about a person by reading their eyes about what they... Have. If, if, if you want to know what's in a person's heart, I'm trying to say, look at their eyes. Some people have busy eyes. They're always looking around, concerned about what other people think of them. If you're in a conversation with someone and their eyes start darting around, they're always watching you see who's coming. Their eyes are rarely, rarely present with you. Some people have downcast eyes, sad, depressed eyes, which obviously conveys something is going on. We would do well to sit with them. But there's another type of eyes that look down. Arrogant eyes. Prideful eyes. Hardened eyes. Eyes that look down on other people. It's eyes that say, I am better than you. I see it a lot in religious circles that I'm in. I see it certainly in our rank-oriented culture among military and spouses too. I even caught it myself, this weird sense of entitlement that I experience every now and then. I don't like it. But I remember these haughty, confident eyes, even more so when I was in high school. You remember, right? I mean, there's nothing ever, nothing needs to be said. It's just eyes that sometimes communicate. Eyes that say, I don't want to be associated with that person. Or I don't like his personality. I'm only part of that group. I don't like the way she dresses. 
Nothing needs to be said, but it's just the look of the eyes. The rolling of the eyes, the, the blank stare that looks right through you. For all of our students here, do you know what I mean? Have you seen that look? But it's the eyes of the person who wrote Psalm 123s that are so different. Eyes that look up, eyes that are humble eyes, eyes that admit they need help. Eyes that if they could speak would say, I am completely dependent upon you. Eyes that don't have an agenda, eyes that don't have a hidden motive, eyes that don't want to get even but eyes that reflect what we read in this psalm in verse 3 that says, Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. We have had more than enough contempt. Our soul has had more than enough contempt, more than enough for the proud. The writer of the psalm, you might guess, has been hurt, and he speaks for a group of weary travelers. They're tired. They have been kicked, kicked like a dog, treated with contempt, And that's what many of God's people have experienced through hundreds of years and what many believers still around the world today are still experiencing. The word contempt is mentioned twice in this psalm, three times if you include scorn. It's a belief that God, a word that God wants us to see today. Dr. John Gottman, one of the most more famous clinical psychologists who has researched and filmed and studied and written about marriages for over four decades, lists four predictors of divorce, four destructive communication patterns we must eliminate from our relationships and certainly eliminate in our marriages. By the way, I printed out what I'm going to say here in the next few minutes. For all you in the back, if you want a half a sheet of paper when you go out, I have to summarize because I think it's very important for you just to notice especially for us to teach our children now before they learn too late. There are four destructive communication patterns in marriages. The first one is stonewalling. A person who stonewalls refuses to communicate. They shut down. Everything hurts too much. And it's much, much more than just taking time to think, which I think is healthy. Because a stonewaller will shut down, completely withdraw, and refuses to talk, completely closes himself or herself off. The second destructive communication pattern is called defensiveness. People with a defensive communication habit, instead of accepting someone else's perspective, instead of offering an apology, instead of really listening, a defensive person reverses the blame usually with an attack. Whenever you try to say something to them, it gets turned back on you. The third pattern is criticism. A person who critiques has a word of choice. You. You, 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 you do this, you do that. Instead of taking personal, a personal stance and saying, I feel this way, or I feel this, their communication is always you on the attack. The last one is the word that we hear in our psalm twice, which is the word contempt. Dr. Gottman writes that the number one predictor of divorce, and this is from 40 years of experience, is contempt. 
It's because contempt is an attack with a deep insult attached to it. And it ultimately abuses the person. When someone is held in contempt of court or contempt of Congress, you might have heard it recently in the news, it means a blatant disrespect for the rule of law. The same can be said for our marriages as well. When someone has a contempt in marriage, it means they have a blatant disrespect for the person they married. Instead of being aware of a person's good qualities, the positive things they bring to a relationship, they give insult and they give abuse. Dr. Gottman says that contempt is the most destructive negative behavior in relationships because, because of this. Because it's virtually impossible to resolve a problem when your partner gets the message that you're disgusted with them. No human tongue, no human being can tame this human tongue. It is a restless evil. It is full of deadly poison. All the more reason why we need to have a circumcision of our heart, someone to cut out the sin in our heart. We need a helper. We need a new heart. And we need a savior. But there's another way to be. A different way of seeing the world, a different vision shared among those whose eyes are lifted up. And it's written here in the heart of our psalm. Own the psalm. It says, Behold, as the eyes of a servant look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant look to the hands of their mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy on us. I'd like to show you one more picture I think also captures the heart of this psalm. This picture was taken on September the 19th, 1953, Buckingham Palace, at the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. Many of you, I hope all of you, know who Queen Elizabeth II was, the most extraordinary lady, the Queen of England who passed away just this past year, September 8th, Attending her in this old photo, though, are her maidservants. Maidservants help dress. Maidservants are involved in the intricate work of hairdressing. Maidservants assist with the adornment of jewelry. Maidservants sew. Maidservants alter their garments. A good maidservant ensures clothing is kept spotless and stainless. They are the caregivers or the helpers overseeing the beauty of the one they hope to serve. Many of you know Queen Elizabeth, but few of you know the name of the lady to her right, Miss Lady Mary Russell, the young lady standing right to the right of Queen Elizabeth, her head tilted down a bit. This picture, she's nineteen year old, nineteen year old young lady from Scotland. Um, she was chosen as one of the Queen's personal attendants during her coronation. And from an old interview they had with Lady Mary, she said she remembers standing for three hours on her feet the day of the coronation. But she said, you know, it was so beautiful. She said it passed like clockwork because it was so interesting. She said of carrying the queen's train, she said it was a great ordeal. 
It was, but it was overwhelming. She was removed by the moment. But the weight of the embroidery was just as heavy as the moment. But the most interesting moment, she said, was the anointing where she was present with Elizabeth when the queen took off her regalia and was blessed with holy oil under a canopy with four knights. She said that once everyone departed, Queen Elizabeth gave her a special brooch with her initials in diamonds. She kept it for years. We may never, ever serve human royalty, but as Psalm 123 reminds us, we have been invited to be a servant or a maidservant with eyes lifted up to the one enthroned in heaven. And his gift to us, better than a diamond pendant. The Apostle Paul says it in this beautiful way. He says, what no eye has seen or ear has heard or the hearts of man imagined is what God has prepared for those who love him. One last picture. This is a picture of Lady Mary taken not too many years ago. But Mary died just last month, 88 years old. Any guesses when? She died the night before Queen Elizabeth's funeral. Peacefully in her sleep, her role as a maidservant is no longer needed. But our role, your role, my role, servant, is not done. Our Lord is still living. And when his reputation is stained, we, like good servants, clear up his reputation. And while on this pilgrimage, when we see our Lord's people treated with contempt, what ought we do? We mend them. We dress them. We stitch them up. We suit them up. We remind our brothers and sisters that they are beautiful. Even when this world treats them with disrespect, treats them with contempt. But everything depends on your eyes and where your eyes are looking. But better said, who is living in your soul? What is your vision? I hope the song we sing now and we stand and sing together will renew your vision. Stand with me, will you? Hymn number 562. A hymn most fitting for what we've heard today. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Remembering Jesus' resurrection on a Sunday. It's important. It's why we gather on Sunday. Um, please join us next door for lunch if you can. All of you are most certainly welcome. It's how we build community and how we begin to love our neighbor. But words to live by as you go out that door today. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It is written, 
what no eye has seen or ear has heard. The heart of man imagined is what God has prepared for those who love him. Lord, thank you for this day. We trust you with every good, every good things that comes our way this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.